practically speaking, here are your helpful hints for this week, all right? Take one of those dryer sheets and dip it in water and use it to remove bugs from your car's windshield or your car's front grill. The sheet is abrasive enough to scrub away insects without damaging the finish on the car. You can also cut these dryer sheets into one-inch strips and hang them in your trees to discourage deer from eating your plants. Now, I'm really hoping that's going to work. I'm going to give that a try because Bambi and I have not been on the same page in this spring about the plants around our house, all right? If you enjoy burning candles in your home, place them in the freezer at least three hours prior to burning, and they will last longer. And when boiling water with pasta, potatoes, eggs, and other such items, put a little bit of oil, olive oil, vegetable oil, canola oil, not 10W40 motor oil, around the rim of the pot, and the pot will not boil over. So these are, again, suggestions that come from folks in the church. Now, speaking of boiling over, let's take a look at what James has to say about the tongue this morning. James chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1, all right? Number 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. i got to tell you, I'm not overly fond of this passage. As a matter of fact, it scares me. Sometimes folks want to know if after all these years I still get nervous when I preach. The answer is simple. Every time. I do not sleep well on Saturday nights. I don't eat or drink anything until I'm done because my stomach and I are not on the best of terms on Sunday mornings. It is the warning of this passage that bothers me most. I've got enough in my life for which I will be judged. I don't like adding additional categories. So when I stand before you in this capacity, I feel a weight on my shoulders to make sure that what I present to you fairly and accurately represents God's Word. When I talk a lot, it only increases the opportunity for me to stick my foot in my mouth. And so I think James warns us, you can get into a lot of trouble if you're teaching. But, but that aside, I also want, when I stand before you, for it to be beneficial to you. I want it to be helpful to you. I'm reminded of the preacher who preached extra long one Sunday morning, and on the way out, all he got were glares and scowls from everybody, until one guy walked out, and he said, oh, your sermon, pastor, was simply wonderful, so refreshing. The minister was thrilled until the guy went on to say, why, when I woke up, I felt like a new man. <laughs> so whatever's beneficial to you this morning, if you just need a nap, you just go right ahead and enjoy it. Now, now, why does James begin with such a pointed remark? Why does he start off this way? It be, it's because he segues way into this next thought that involves all of us and the use of our words. Look in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. There it is. We all stumble in many ways. But the most problematic, troublemaking aspect of our lives is found in the words that come out of our mouths. So the more you talk, as in teaching, the greater the risk is that you will sin with your words. 
Once again, James exempts no one from this teachable moment. No simple activity carries more potential danger than talking. And no member of the human body can mess up a day faster than the tongue. The damage created by a one-minute verbal tirade may take hours, days, or even years to repair, if ever. James is right. If you are never at fault in what you say, you're the equivalent of a perfect person. And since none of us are perfect, we've all got a long way to go in managing this thing we call our speech. And just in case you think James is overreacting to the use of our words here, that he's making a much bigger deal than he needs to, just listen to what his older brother, the Lord Jesus, had to say. Matthew records it like this. Jesus said, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Scary, isn't it? What kind of testimony to faith have my words affirmed? What kind of legacy will your words leave behind? You see, this third chapter, James writes warnings to us about the use of our speech. And and, and this is how he begins then in verse 3. He says, be on guard. Your words can control. Let's read what the text says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, there are two very important thoughts that James introduces to us here. One is pretty obvious, and the other is much more subtle. The obvious one is this. How can something so small be so controlling? My tongue always gets me into more trouble than my hands and my feet combined. Now, we tend to be dismissive of little things. You know, small things, they're not a big deal. Massive things, big things, now those are impressive. You stand at the foot of a snow-capped mountain peak, and you just kind of stand there in awe. It's awesome. This is incredible. But really, a mountain can't hurt us. A mountain, it's just there. It's massive, yes. It's awe-inspiring, yes, but it doesn't do anything to us. But a microscopic virus or a bacterial assault that I can't even begin to see with my natural eyes can take me down and render me powerless or even lifeless in short order. Just because the tongue is small doesn't mean it isn't powerful and problematic. Sometimes it's the little things that get us quickest. The second thought is more subtle, but it's this. The tongue controls our direction. What you say sets the course and the direction for your life. Revolutions have begun with the power of words. Go back and read our Declaration of Independence and see what those words sparked. Nations rise and fall with the power of words. 
Many of the most heinous dictators of history gained control through the power of words. Humanity's greatest love stories blossomed because of the power of words. Your words set the course for where you are headed. Your words will determine your actions and your legacy. Like the tiny metal bit in a horse's mouth controls its direction. Like the relatively small rudder guides the entire huge ship. Like a minute spark sets the course and the destiny of a forest. So the words you choose set the course for your daily existence. If I only knew you by your words, what would I conclude about your direction in life? Here's what you need to remember. Positive words lead in one direction. Negative words lead in the other. The words you choose will change that direction. Positive words lead one direction. Negative words lead in another direction. And I'm here to tell you that the negative words will lead you in a direction you don't want to go and to a destination you don't want to be. An elderly man with a serious hearing problem was fitted for a set of hearing aids that allowed him to hear 100%. On his follow-up appointment to the doctor, the doctor was real pleased. He said, well, your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear so well again. The old man said, Oh, I haven't told my family yet. (laughs) He said, I just sit around and listen to their conversations. You know, I've changed my will three times since I got these hearing aids. (laughs) Be careful with your words because they will set the course for the future, and negative words will lead you where you don't want to go. Guard, Guard them well. They will control you. Second thing James tells us here is be on guard. Your words can destroy. Look look in verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. In 1734, a, uh, a German doctor put saline solution into a glass, uh, well, it was a, a, a glass orb. He filled it full, and then he marketed these for you to put in your home that in case you have a house fire, you'd take one of these glass balls full of saline solution, and you'd toss it into the fire, and, of course, the glass would shatter and spray the saline solution into the fire and thus help put the fire out. It would be another 82 years after that, When a Scottish inventor offered the world a copper canister filled with water and potassium carbonate and and the first fire extinguisher was born. Unfortunately, in all of human history, no one has ever invented a fire extinguisher for the tongue. In this simple verse, James powerfully describes the hideous nature of the tongue in four phrases that reflect a different facet of the tongue's potential devastation. He said, it is a world of evil. The tongue, it's a world of evil. It stands in contrast to everything righteous. He says it corrupts the whole person. Folks, what flows from your tongue, what flows from your mouth, permeates the mind, heart, soul, and will so that a person's character is stained by the tongue's poison. 
It sets the whole course of life on fire. The entire social dynamic in which we live is controlled and corrupted by what we say. And he says the tongue is hell itself. Now, the word he uses for hell here is the one that Jesus most often used in in, uh, the Gospels, which is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is the word that referred to the refuse dump that was in a valley just outside the city of Jerusalem where everybody brought all of the dead and garbage and junk that they had and the fires continually burned. It is a fitting description for the smoldering garbage that comes out of our mouths, that comes from our tongue. So be on guard because your words can destroy. James says our tongue is, it's just a fire. What a, what a vivid picture that creates. And have you ever stopped to think how, how often we have used that same comparison? Now, to be sure, a fire that is under control is a very useful power, but out of control. A fire does nothing but devastate. Stately forests that have taken lifetimes to create and grow can be reduced to ashes in a few hours or a few days. And when we think of the use of our tongue, we oftentimes think in terms that relate to fire. You see, fire creates heat. So do our words. Blistering words lead to hot tempers, and hot tempers lead to heated arguments full of fiery language. Feelings are scorched, and relationships are left smoldering in the wake of our uncontrolled tongues. When somebody explodes verbally, we say, man, he's hot under the collar. When we are insulted, we respond, boy, that just burns me up. All of these analogies relating back to fire. It's fitting. The tongue is a fire. And and where a fire burns, it destroys. It destroys property. I will never forget the sights, the sounds, and the smells uh, of of the fire that destroyed the church building 21 years ago down, down, down the road here. I stood watching helplessly as that blaze consumed a building that was kind of like a second home for me. The sinister-looking flames seemed to delight in towering over our classroom space, fellowship hall area, and our office. And what remained when the fire was finally extinguished looked like the aftermath of aerial bombardment seen in war photos. To this day, the items that were in my office at the time, retain an acrid odor of that black billowing smoke. If I put certain books to my nose, I can still smell that day. 21 years ago. In similar fashion, I've seen fiery words destroy careers, marriages, parent-child relationships, friendships, self-esteem, confidence, hope, even the desire to keep on living. And that's just the short list. I don't know who penned these words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But I'm convinced they lived on a desert island that nobody else ever set foot on. Either that or they were the greatest fiction writer of all time because there's nothing true about that sentiment. You cut me on my arm and it'll heal. You cut me to the bone with your words and that may fester for years. Words hurt. And we use them far too often as a tool to destroy. Who did you hurt this week with fiery words? And fire leaves scars. Uh, a couple summers ago, Elsie and I went to um, 
Yellowstone on vacation, and we came in uh, 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 through Wyoming on the eastern side of the park, and our first view of, of Yellowstone was where actually a forest fire had gone through a couple years before that, and, and I remember there were, there were a couple mountainsides there uh, in the park that were covered with nothing but just the leftover trunks that had burned, been burned to a point, actually, uh, that, that just covered the hillside. That's, it's almost like these gray, ugly, pointed trunks that look like a, a hillside of giant toothpicks. And your heart just kind of sags. Think, oh, how beautiful it once was, how ugly it is, because fires leave scars behind. There's not a day uh, there's not a week that goes by in, in my study for, uh, for sermons. I don't pick up one of those books that was in my office uh, during, the, during the fire years, and I'll open it up, and you just hear the, the pages kind of crinkle, and they're wrinkled from the water damage. And as long as I have those books, they will be that way. It's easy to forget that the words spoken in heated arguments will leave scars also, long after the passion and the emotion has cooled. James is right. The tongue is a fire, so you keep it under control, and it'll bring warmth and joy to your relationships like a cozy fireplace on a winter's night. But you let it loose, and it will become a raging inferno consuming you and everyone you love. Here's the next thing James says. He says, be on guard. Your words can surprise. Look in verses 7 and 8. He said all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many times have you seen an article where somebody has been maimed or injured or even killed by a pet, or what they thought was a pet, that, that kind of returned to the wild? I read this week about a man uh, who had a pet boa constrictor and it killed him. Uh, you know, you, we, we know that wild animals, if we try to take them as pets, are potentially dangerous, and so we're a bit on our guard uh, around them. When, when I was a kid and we went to the circus, you know, one of the main acts was when the lion tamer went into the ring, the cage with all these lions and tigers, and he always went in with a chair, and he had a whip on his, uh, in his hand, he had a revolver to his side. You know, he was prepared because you, you just never know when one of them might turn on you and not respond. But James says, tongue's worse than that. Because a wild animal, you, you, you can tame to a certain degree. Not completely, but to a certain degree. But he says, the tongue, <laughs> you can't tame it at all. It's untamable. When author Joseph Telushkin speaks to an audience, he often asks the crowd if they can go 24 hours without saying any unkind words to or about another person. Invariably, a few people will respond, yes, but most just laugh at the ridiculous thought. His response, then, is telling. He says, those who can't answer yes must recognize you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you cannot go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you have lost control over your tongue. And just when you think you've mastered your words, something spews forth, and you're just caught off guard. Where did that come from? Did I really say that? I can't believe I just said that. And you think, I thought I had it all under control, and, and suddenly it erupts like the wild animal that it is, and you just spew forth. And you see, harsh words 
can be triggered by painful memories or a practical joke, or an assumed insult, or a bully's taunt, or a lover's quarrel. The list is endless of all the things that can trigger a response from you that ought to come from you and me. It always surprises us when we thought what we had tamed begins to roar and pounce. So when dealing with the wild animal behind our teeth, make sure you've got your whip and a loaded revolver at all times. And even an unintended result of your words can surprise you. Did you ever say something to somebody in fun or, or, or laughing or, you know, uh, in a lighthearted way and they took it the wrong way and, and, and got offended by it? You know, and, and you think, oh my goodness, that's a surprise. I never intended anything like that. Y- your words can, even when you don't intend them to be hurtful, can be hurtful. <laughs> Several years ago, we... Uh, well, in a Sunday evening service, I walked in. I was visiting with some of the people, and some dear friends of ours were, were sitting there, and I, and I went up to him, and I said, well, how are you doing? And uh, he said, uh, oh, he said, I've not had the best week. He said, I've had a head cold all week long. And, and so I'm, I was trying to just tease with him a little bit, joke with him. I used that kind of a playful, almost a childlike voice, and I patted him on the back, and I says, oh, you poor thing. Have you been thick in the head this week? And so I went on, and he turned to his wife and he said, did he call me thick-headed? And she says, I believe he did. And they got real offended. Now, I wasn't calling him thick-headed, anything but that, you know. Thankfully, because they were good friends, found out about it sometime later, and they were asking me what I meant by that comment. And so we had a good laugh over, we explained the whole thing, but I'm thinking, I didn't mean anything by that. I'm just joking and teasing around. I learned a valuable lesson, that you've got to be careful, even when you're joking and teasing, that you say something that cannot be misinterpreted, because you don't want your words to hurt. Those are the kinds of surprises I never like. Be ever so careful with your words. They will come back to surprise you. And then the last thing is, be on guard. Your words can undermine. Look at verses uh, 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been created or made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is talking about the contrast here of how things that we say can undermine other aspects of our lives. He says, choose your words carefully. Your words may undermine your integrity. Your words will either confirm or undermine your sincerity. Nobody likes hypocrisy, and nobody likes a hypocrite in any area of life, but especially in matters of faith. Now, if you go get a drink this morning out of the water fountains here in the church, provided that the water's on, the fountain's working, everything else, I guarantee you'll get fresh water every time. You don't ever have to worry about coming to church, hitting the water fountain, and getting a mouthful of salt water every once in a while. You just never know what's coming. Salt water, okay? Not going to happen. They all produce fresh water. But I'm, I'm, I'm here to remind you this morning that if your words are fresh and sweet here, but when you get home or you get to school or you get to your office, your words get salty, then you've got a character issue. Your words are undermining your integrity. Nobody likes that kind of hypocrisy. And choose your words carefully. They may undermine your reputation. Regarding the question of profanity, Marilyn Voss Savant, uh, the, the lady who writes in the Parade magazine, that column, Ask Marilyn, she made this observation. She said, I have never found an interesting person with a foul mouth. 
Boy, I like that comment. You see, the only byproduct of crude speech is that you lower your esteem in the eyes of everybody who is forced to listen to you. I like what humorist Will Rogers said many years ago. He said, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. (laughs) Isn't that good? And that's really what James is trying to tell us here. And then choose your words carefully. They may undermine the character of someone else. It has been said the tongue is the only instrument that grows sharper with use. And nowhere is that more apparent than gossip, the Christian's acceptable sin. (laughs) We've been told you can't believe everything you hear, but nobody ever told us that we couldn't repeat it. And have you noticed that gossip always seems to travel fastest over grapevines that are slightly sour? Gossip is like mud thrown on a clean wall. It may not stick, but it always leaves a dirty mark where it hits. During World War II, there was an expression, loose lips sink ships. In other words, share what you know, and you may endanger the lives of sailors and soldiers. But I want you to know that loose lips don't just sink ships. They sink marriages. They sink relationships. They sink friendships. They sink careers. They sink reputations. You and I have a moral and scriptural obligation to stop gossiping. Those are dangerous words. We dare not undermine somebody else's character. But on the other side of the coin, your words can undermine things in a positive way. What do I mean by that? Well, your words can undermine discouragement. We live around a lot of people in our world who are downhearted, they're frustrated, they're discouraged about things, they've kind of lost the spark in their life. So use words to build them up, not tear them down. In their discouragement, you can undermine it with encouraging words. Mother Teresa stated, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are endless. So open your eyes and ears before you open your mouth. Watch and listen for those who are discouraged and speak encouragement into their life that will echo for days or weeks or maybe even years to come. And then your words can undermine emptiness as well. So many people today just just live on empty. They've lost the ability to look at life and to see what's funny. They've stopped laughing because they're consumed by the pressures and the stresses and the anxieties. And when people forget to laugh, when they forget to find the funny stuff of life, you need to remind them how important that is. You need to laugh with them and to speak humor into their lives. Laughter is beneficial. We stretch muscles throughout our face and body. Our pulse and blood pressure momentarily increases, and we breathe faster, sending more oxygen to our tissues when we laugh. It can be as beneficial as a mild workout. A good belly laugh exercises the diaphragm, contracts the abs, and even works the shoulders, leaving muscles more relaxed. It provides a good workout for the heart, too. Long-term, it helps to reduce blood pressure. Laughter may reduce, or or excuse me, may increase blood flow, enhance the immune system by raising the level of infection-fighting antibodies, and will help to control blood sugar levels. And laughter appears in the latest research to burn calories. 10 to 15 minutes of laughter will burn 50 calories. All right, bring on the pie and let's laugh. (laughs) In a world where so many feel empty, 
Teach them to laugh again. Laughter's in your DNA. God hardwired you that way. Before Adam ever spoke a word, God gave him the gift of laughter because he was created in the image of his God. So where do you think we get our sense of humor? The Bible says that God laughs, and I can't wait to get home and hear the Father laugh. So with your words and with your sounds of laughter that come from your mouth, you can determine the course and the direction for somebody else's life. You can help undermine the emptiness and the loneliness in their lives. So be on guard. Don't play with fire. Watch your tongue. Use your words to bless, strengthen, and encourage. It's your choice, you know. You can either speak the positive or you can speak the negative. And that will make all the difference what you choose. Most of all, use your words to honor God and point others to Jesus Christ. The sweetest words you'll ever utter from your mouth are these. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. The Bible says, with our mouths, confession is made unto salvation. Do you know him this morning as your Savior? Because if you don't, that's the best thing you can do today with the words of your mouth. While we stand and sing, you come to the Christ.